you can uh, sit back and relax. Thanks, Harry. Harry and the band will be back a little bit later tonight. Um, we're getting there. Slot, uh, sorry, that's my bad. Um, hey, well, if you're brand new um, tonight or this is your first time here, my name's Chris. I'm one of the communicators here. And as Emma and Steph let us know, we're actually in part two of a series that we've been covering for the last, uh, we started it last week, we'll carry it on tonight and we'll wrap it up next week. And the series is called uh, The Other Side of Me. And last week, we, uh, we've ra- we finished this series with a question and a challenge. A question and a challenge. And the question was this, uh, we wanted you to ask this week, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And the challenge that was wrapped up in this question was to ask three people, um, someone who knew you uh, really, really well, maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a best friend or someone like that, someone who was just in your circle, uh, maybe a friend but they're not like super close to you, uh, maybe it was a parent, um, someone like that, and then someone who kind of knows you. Maybe if you're on a sporting team or a musical group, maybe it's someone who's part of your team but you're not really friends with them, you don't share the locker next to them, you don't, uh, you're not in the same kind of uh, uh, instrument section as them so you don't talk to them a whole week. But we wanted you to ask three people this week, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And the reason we wanted you to ask that is because what we discovered last week was this. Uh, 95% of people think they're self-aware. But 95% of people walk out into the world and they think, hey, I know how my thoughts, how my words, how my actions impact the lives of people around me. But what we discovered last week was actually only 10 to 15% of people actually are self-aware, which is really, really scary when you think about it because that means that there's about 85% of people walking around who are not fully aware of how their thoughts of how their actions and how their words impact the lives of the people around them. And so really what we discovered last week was this big idea, is that self-awareness grows when we're willing to look in the mirror. And we looked at this one particular story involving this guy called David, um, and I'm not going to go into it all now, but it's the same David as in like David and Goliath. Um, So if you've never been to church before, maybe you've heard of that story. And what we discovered is self-awareness grows when we're willing to look in the mirror. And so why we got you to ask that question is because we wanted you to look in the mirror this week. We wanted you to take some time to kind of see, hey, what actually does lie on the other side of me? Not what I think lies on the other side of me, because 85% of us aren't really sure and we've got a distorted view, but we wanted to discover what actually does lie on the other side of us. And, uh, and we, have a, we have a rule here with all the communicators at Beyond that we're not allowed to ask you something that we wouldn't do ourselves. We're not allowed to set a challenge that we either wouldn't do or haven't done ourselves. And so... Um, I wanted to share with you uh, something or uh, some of the responses that I got uh, from asking this question. And the first response was this. Um, you can be really judgmental and negative. My wife said that. Um, we'll come back to that later. We'll come back to that one later. Um, you try really hard, you're just inconsistent. Okay, the person I was talking to was like, hey, you know, you've got to, you, you, you always want to get better, you always want to improve on things, and you try really, really hard. And the problem is you probably try too hard and you try to do everything at once, and so then what happens is you just, you just become inconsistent. I was like, okay, that's, that's fair. Um, if you don't feel like doing something, you won't do it. And I heard that when, when this person said it to me, and I was like, no, that's not true. And they said it to me on Tuesday night, and then on Wednesday night, we had friends around to watch The Origin, and after we were done watching The Origin, there was like all the couches still left because we kind of moved them around so that everyone could see the TV, and I was done, right? At that point in time, like, Queensland had won, like, er- the world was as it should be again, and, uh, and I, was ready, I was just ready to go to bed. And someone, one of our friends was like, hey, do you want some help moving the couches back? And I was like, no, because I'm going to bed. And they were like, 
but it'd be so much easier if we just did it now really, really quickly, then you won't have to worry about it during, later in the week. And I was like, no, I don't want to do it. I want to go to bed right now, so I'm going to do that right now. And uh, yeah, it took me till like Friday to move the couches back. So that's okay. Uh, you got to learn, right? <clears throat> Here's another one. Uh, you genuinely listen to other people's points of view. Uh, this person said that, hey, when, when, um, when someone's sharing their point of view, uh, you don't always try to tell them that they're wrong, that you actually genuinely try to listen and you genuinely try to understand even if you disagree. So I was like, all right, that's, that's a positive. This was the final one um, that, that uh, I wanted to share is, when you ask for feedback, you want the honest truth. The person also added a caveat. They're like, if you don't ask for feedback and someone gives you feedback, you just like write it off. But if you ask for feedback, uh, you want the person who you've asked for feedback to be as brutally honest as possible, and you're, you're totally okay with that. And I don't know for you, if when you started to ask people this question, maybe for some people, uh, for some of you, like me, you heard some of the things that people said, and you were kind of like, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of knew those things already. But maybe there was, there was something, or maybe there was a couple of things that people asked you, and, and maybe you were a little bit like me, and you said this, you're like, I had no idea. Like, like I had no idea. The first one particularly, right, that, that I'm uh, judgmental and negative, like I had no idea. Right, because in my mind, um, and, and if you know me really well, in my mind, I'm, I'm always just trying to like get better at things. Right? I don't know, it's just like a personality trait. Like I'm always trying to figure out how to get my grass just a little bit greener. Um, I'm always trying to figure out just like how to get my slow-cooked ribs recipe just like a little bit more tender. I'm always trying to find out like better nutritional patterns. Like last year, like no joke, I read a book on sleep because I wanted to learn how to sleep better. Okay, I just always want to make things better. And, uh, and even when it comes to church, I always want to figure out how can we be a community that is more inviting to people who, who don't share our views and don't share our values. Um, but the problem with that is, is that as I discovered during the week, is when I look at the world, I always look at the things that could be better. For me, if something's working really, really well, it's just doing what it's supposed to do. And I don't get excited when things, aren't doing, uh, when things are just doing what they're supposed to do. But what happens is people on the other side of me perceive me as negative or judgmental because I'm always pointing out the things that could be better. And so I was like, wow, I had, I had no idea about that. Like I need to really focus on maybe celebrating some of the things that for me I just naturally look over. And I need to do that because of the people who sit across from me. And maybe, maybe you found some things in your life. You're like, wow, I, I had no idea that I, that I seemed so blunt. I had no idea that I, I seemed disconnected or disengaged when we're having a conversation. I, I had no idea that I come across angry. Like maybe, maybe you just have like that, that like resting bee face and you're like, I had no idea. Like I'm always super happy, right? Like what? I never knew. And so here's, here's the issue and the tension with tonight's message, right? Here's the challenge that, that we're really going to face is that nothing I say in the next 15 or 20 minutes is going to be new to you. Nothing I say, you're going to sit back and be like, wow, this guy's so smart. I need to get my notebook out. I need to write this down. Like, I need to understand this. Like, I'm not going to say anything that you haven't heard or that you don't already know. And here's the challenge with that, right? Is because you know it and because we know it, we think we apply it to our relationships. And so there is a really, really big challenge that what will happen and what I'm really afraid of is that you will leave here tonight and you will do nothing that you will have asked the question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? You'll have figured it out and you'll have discovered it and then you'll go away and you'll do nothing with it. And here's why I'm afraid of that. Not for you, like not for you, it's for the people around you. It's for the, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your group of friends or your coworker 
or your husband or your wife. And the reason that concerns me is because the closest to, those closest to us experience the other side of us every day. For us, right, we ask a question like, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And someone goes, oh, you know, you, you're really blunt. And you hear that and you're like, oh, well, that's news to me. And then you kind of know it and then you leave it and you move on. But people who are on the other side of you experience your bluntness every single day. They experience your anger every single day. They experience your lateness and your tardiness or they experience your relational disconnect every single day. And this is a series all about relationships and so it's about how you engage and how you connect with the people on the other side of you. So, in case you are kind of zone out and you're like, this is nothing new, this is boring, you just go into autopilot, I want to let you know what the big idea is up front. I want to get ahead of the curve for you and then we're going to talk about and address um, this big idea. And so the big idea for tonight is simply this, that your connection to others is determined by how you handle. Not by how aware you are, not by the fact that you know, not because you asked a question and you wrote it down in your notebook or on your phone and you thought one day I'll do something about it. No, how you actually handle, deal with, address the other side of you. So this conversation is going to be all about how we, what do we do with what we find on the other side of us. And to kind of get us moving in this conversation, I want to introduce you to someone um, called James. And every time I talk about this guy, um, I have to stop because this, this guy has one of the most incredible stories, I think, in history. So this guy, James, is the brother of Jesus. So James literally grew up maybe sharing a bedroom with Jesus. James was there when Jesus first learned to walk. When Jesus first learned to talk, James was there when uh, Jesus began to learn or began to take on the family business of carpentry. James journeyed with Jesus through adolescence and into adulthood. And what's so fascinating and so interesting about James is that when he was younger, what James experienced on the other side of Jesus didn't draw him closer. It pushed him away. And to me, like, that's fascinating but, but um, when I think about it more and more, I kind of think that if I was James, I'd be the same way too, right? Because I couldn't imagine my brother rocking in up one day and going, hey, guess what? I'm the son of God. I've come here to take away the sin of the world and restore everyone's relationship to God. I'd be like, no, you're not. Like, that's just, that's just dumb, dude. Like, no, you're not. You're definitely not the son of God. And so James actually pushed back. James ridiculed Jesus. James wanted nothing to do with his brother. And then it changed because James witnessed Jesus' crucifixion and murder on a cross. James witnessed them take the body down. James heard that they buried him in a tomb and then three days later, James was talking with his brother again. And so if you want to know what it would take to convince someone that your sibling or your brother is the son of God, that, you, that they are God, stepped into history? James would know the answer. James would say it would take him dying in front of my eyes, being buried in a grave, and then three days later, coming back. Then I'll kind of go with whatever he says from then on. And James, after that, rose to prominence in the early church. James became a, became a really well-known and a really prominent leader in the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. And as a result of that, James was kind of like a pastor and a teacher and a communicator. And so he'd write letters to uh, Jesus followers in Jerusalem and throughout uh, the surrounding areas, uh, areas. And one of the letters 
that, uh, that James wrote, we actually have that recorded. And it is compiled in the collection of documents that Christians commonly refer to as the Bible, and it is in the New Testament um, part of the Bible, along with a whole heap of other documents. Um, and James, in this particular letter that we're going to look at tonight, and in this little portion of this letter, what he talks about is not just how to, uh, is how to handle what you discover on the other side of you. And, and we're jumping in today right after James has kind of spoken to people and he said, hey, it's not enough to know what's on the other side of you, it's how you handle what you discover on the other side of you. Really where we're going to jump into James's letter is where James is answering this question. How do you ensure what's on the other side of you doesn't destroy your relationships? How do you get ahead of the game? How do you get ahead of the curve and ensure that you become aware and you handle and you deal with what is on the other side of you? And so we're going to jump in and this is what James has to say. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. In other words, if you're slouching, if you're falling asleep, uh, if you're zoning out, now's the time to zone in is what James is saying. Get your phone out, write this down. He says, everyone, everyone. And the reason I kind of guess he says everyone is because when we're talking about the things in our life that we have to deal with, what we find on the other side of us, there's a tendency within you and within me to be like, well, that's not really my issue. That's the issue with how people interpret my behavior. Like if people just knew me a little bit better, they'd get over themselves. If people understood me a little bit better, then everything would be fine. And so we kind of think like, that's my husband, that's my wife, that's my girlfriend, that's my boyfriend. This, this letter that James is about to write is for everyone else. And James goes, no, 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 no. It's for everyone. And this is what he says, everyone should be quick to listen. It doesn't really make sense when you think about it, right? Like quick James, you can speak quickly, but how, how do you be quick to listen? And really what James is doing here is what, what so many communicators do. He's kind of making this analogy. He says, hey, really, if, if James could formulate it another way, maybe he would say something like this, that making listening a priority predisposes you to deal with what's on the other side of you. That when you make listening a priority, when your aim is not to get your point of view across, to interject, to speak over the top of someone, to just let me clarify for one minute, really quick before you move on. When listening is your priority, it predisposes you to deal with what you find on the other side of you. And, and let's be honest, right? Let's be really honest. Isn't this what we want other people to do in all our relationships? Don't we really hope that other people that we uh, talk to and other people that are at the, at the office and our friends are people who are quick, to listen. Of course we do. Really, all James is doing is rehashing one of the teachings of his brother. And it was Jesus who said, hey, do to people what you would want them to do to you. And James is saying, you want people to be quick to listen, so be quick to listen yourself. And then he goes on. He says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And perhaps you didn't know this, but James actually didn't write his letter in English. He wrote his letter in Greek. And this word slow in Greek actually means to be late. If you are going to speak, James says, it's better to be late than to jump the gun. It's better to wait for someone else to get their entire thought out than for you to jump in over the top and try to give your two cents or your three cents or your five cents or however many cents that you want to give. James says, be quick to listen and slow 
And then, really, James doesn't say this, but this is kind of what I would add, is if you want to learn how to be slow to speak, I think this is a great approach, just to be curious. To ask questions, if, if you're not sure, then ask a clarifying question. Say, hey, hey, what did you mean by that? Hey, could you explain to me how you arrived at that conclusion? Could you tell me what your thought process was when you sent that email or when you shot that text through? What, what was going on in your day? And, and there's part of us that's kind of like, yeah, but Chris, but being curious means that I have to ask another question. And that will help you be quick to listen and slow to speak. And in the process, it allows the person to clarify their thoughts. And more than this, if you get these kind of first two right, if you're curious, it helps with the third part of what James is trying to get across. And James says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. Angry particularly in the context of relationships. And if you've ever experienced anger in your relationships, which I'm sure you have, you're lying if you said you haven't, there's, there's so many ways that anger expresses itself, right? But, but the, the two of the most common ways are it either blows up or we go inside. We either like build up, build up, build up, and then it's like a volcano erupting when someone comes home or when you finally get out to dinner, or you just internalize it and you get moody, right? I'm the second type. I'm the second type. I just get really moody. And when I get really moody, I start to make noises um, and I just get really loud around our house. So I, do, I don't make like, I'm, the noises I make are like, <clears throat> And I like just close the door a little bit louder. And then I like, you know, sh like we have soft closed doors. So I really like close the doors a little bit louder. And I'm just going, mm. and Emma will come out and she'll be like, what's wrong? And I'll be like, nothing. Right? Okay. I never said anger was smart. Right? But anger does this thing. And if, and if James was to kind of define anger for you and for me and for all of us here tonight, what he would say anger relationally is this. It's drawing fast, misinformed, relationally destructive conclusions drawing fast because you don't have time to get all the information, you haven't been quick to listen, you haven't been slow to speak, you're not even sure of the whole situation then, and then what happens is you become misinformed. So because you don't know the whole situation, you start to make up a story, right? You ever done that? Like I literally did it this afternoon, like I was driving to church and I was getting ready um, for tonight and I was listening of all things to worship music, right? And I'm like, Jesus, like singing this song. And then my, the phone calls and it's my wife and I was like, of course she would call. She knows I'm driving to church. Like, she knows that I like to, like, get in my zone before I, like, get up and speak. Like, and then I just started telling this narrative, and really what she said, she's like, hey, can you, like, bring something up because we need it for tonight? I was like, ah, oh, okay. And that's what happens when you draw fast conclusions. You become misinformed. And ultimately what happens is they become relationally destructive because they're not helpful. No one benefits when you get angry. One of the things that always has kind of perplexed me, right, is someone who is... Um, someone who grew up playing sport, is when you see coaches or people on the sporting lines grab someone really close and then just scream abuse in their face. Right? When was the last time that was helpful to you? When was the last time someone just yelled in your face and you're like, yeah, I really want to listen to what you've got to say right now. Right? And that's where anger comes in. It, it is uh, relationally destructive in the conclusions that it allows us to draw. And if we were to take all of what James said to put it together in a nice, neat little formula, I think the formula will be something like this. If you listen longer, you'll learn more, you'll have better relationships, and you'll be less angry. Who doesn't want that, right? If you listen longer, that might be challenging, right? But if you listen longer, you'll learn more, 
and then you discover more about the people that you know, you'll have better relationships, who doesn't, I, I want that, sure, and you'll be less angry, like who, who doesn't want to be less angry? And really, like honestly, tonight, this is the point where I could just kind of go, okay, right, listen a little bit longer, learn a little bit more, as a result, you'll have better relationships and you'll be less angry, off you go, see you next week. But here's, here's what I want to do, I want to get really specific. And I want to get specific around two areas this week. Really specific around two areas, and then I want to address one reason why you won't do what I'm about to help you get really specific with. So we're going to give you two applications, address one drawback, and then we'll push back, and then we're going to be out of here. So the full Monday for this week to help you apply everything that James has been saying, to help you deal with on the other side of you, is no, um, no prizes for guessing, it's simply this. Be quick to listen. This week, I want you to practice being quick to listen. And to help you do that, here's what I want you to do. When you are tempted to not be quick to listen, to jump in, to voice your opinion, what I want you to do is I want you to ask three questions. When you feel like, I've just got to say, or can I just get in? I want you to take a breath, I want you to pause, and I want you to ask three questions. Because anyone can ask one question, but asking one question allows the person to clarify, and then you get to ask follow-up questions, and you get to practice this skill of active listening. So I want you to ask three questions whenever you're tempted to not be quick to listen. And here's the second one. I want you to be slow to speak. And how I want you to approach that, how I want you to begin to be slow to speak is by, is by doing this. I want you to seek first to understand. I want you to seek first to understand. Have you ever been in an argument with someone, right, and, and you know that you're wrong and they're right? but they never try to understand how you came to the conclusion or how you reached the point that you did. And so the whole time they're just like, I'm right, you're, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm right, here's the reason I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And you know that they're right, but just because of the way they're going about it, you dig your heels and you're like, mm-mm, no, I'm not letting you have this. And the reason you and I don't let people have it when they do that is because they didn't try to understand. They didn't try to to understand where we were coming from. They didn't try to understand the perspective. So this week, what I want you to try to do is I want you to understand the perspective of the other person sitting across from you. I want you to try to understand the perspective of the person on the other end of the line, on the other end of the text message or the other end of the DM. I want you to seek first to understand. And here's, here's why you will struggle, and here's why you maybe will push back against this. Because as I've been speaking tonight, you've been thinking through relationships in your head, and you've been thinking through relationships you want to improve, and relationships that you're just like, uh, and then there may be like one person, or one experience, or some, one um, face that comes to your mind, and you think, well, I'll do it with every other relationship except for that one. And the reason that you won't do it with that, that one particular person, that one particular relationship is because of this, because you're right. You're right, they're wrong, okay? And when you're right, like, let's be honest, they need to understand, right? The person on the other side of you needs to understand more, don't they? Because after all, you're right. So why wouldn't they want to understand more? And here's something I'm not, I'm not sure maybe you've perhaps ever thought about before. It wasn't something I'd ever really thought about until I read it um, one day, and it's this, that everything everyone believes makes perfect sense to them. Just because you're right doesn't matter. 
because everything everyone believes makes perfect sense to them. That's why we say all the time here at Beyond, you are so welcome to belong before you believe. Because we believe that you have a really, really good reason for what you believe. Otherwise, maybe you'd believe what we believe. Otherwise, you'd, maybe you'd change what you believe. Maybe you would believe something different. But we believe that everything everyone believes makes perfect sense to them. Here's the other thing. Everything everyone does makes perfect sense to them. Maybe not later, but in the moment when, you, when, they did that, uh, when they did that action, it made sense to them. And here's the thing, everything everyone says makes perfect sense to them. And when we get into this idea of a kind of like, well, you know what, um, I'm going to examine what's on the other side of me in certain relationships, but not in the relationships where I'm right. Because when I'm right, often you'll find, you'll say things like this, I don't know why they would say such a thing. I don't know why they would do such a thing. I don't know why they would believe such a thing because they're so clearly wrong and I'm right and they should get on my, with my rightness. But here's where the confusion is in this approach to relationships. It's right up here. I don't know. The person on the other side of you knows why they said such a thing, why they did such a thing, and why they believe such a thing, you don't know. And if you don't know, the person with the problem is you, not them. I don't know why they would say such a thing. And so this week, when you begin to practice being quick to listen and slow to speak, you begin to understand and you begin to know why they say such things, do such things, and believe such things. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're in this room tonight, I want to speak just to you for the last couple of minutes. Because this is so, so, so important for us to get right. Because James, after he kind of gives us that formula, he says this word, he says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because. In other words, there is a divine imperative behind the reason that I'm asking you to do this. And maybe some of you are sitting there and you're like, yes, okay, of course, right? It's because, James, if I'm slow to get angry, people will believe what I believe quicker, right? If I'm slow to get angry, I'll convince people quicker to take my view. And James says, no, 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 that's, that's not it at all. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This word here, like this righteousness, this is a word we don't really use that often. It's a funky word, but really it just means like rightness. Like my rightness and your rightness. And when we get into this whole idea of like I'm right, really what it's saying is like my, I, I've got my rightness and I want you to get on board with my rightness. I want you to see the world the way that I see the world. And if you don't see the world the way that I see the world, then I'm going like, I'm, uh, I'm to keep pushing my rightness on you until you either leave the relationship or until you get on board with the way that I look at the world. And why this is such a big idea, a big thing for us as Christians to understand is because when we created a relational disconnect between ourselves and God, when sin entered the world, God was not content to tell us that he was right. God was not content to sit back and say, well, I told you, you should have known better. God's approach was not to be right, but it was to restore the relationship. And that's why Jesus entered into history. 
not to show the world that God's right, but to show the world that God will do anything, even give up his life if it means repairing the relationship with the world. Because God values a relationship with you over everything. And James, upon living with Jesus, upon seeing his death and his resurrection, James looked it out at the world and he said, God is more concerned with how you live with others relationally than how right you are. Which is so important for us. Because what it means, if you're in this room or if you're listening online and you're a follower of Jesus, it means that followers of Jesus should be the best people in the world to be on the other side of. People should hope that followers of Jesus are in their uni study groups. People should hope that they get Christian bosses. People should hope that there are Christians going to their local coffee shops or eating at their cafes or going to their school. Not necessarily because they believe what they believe, but because Christians should be the best people in the world to be on the other side of. And this week, we can begin to help people experience that, but we'll need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to thank you so much that when we relationally disconnected from you, when humanity turned its back on you, your first instinct wasn't to be right. Your first reaction was to restore. You didn't push away, but you drew near. And Lord, sometimes it's really, really easy, and I'll be the first to admit, sometimes it's really, really easy in my own life to begin to believe that well, I've been a Christian for so long and so people should just understand and people should just know and, and I don't put myself in the shoes of someone who doesn't know you. I don't ever put myself in the shoes of someone who is sitting on the other side of me. And maybe for some of us in this room who follow Jesus, we have forgotten what it was like for church to be foreign to us. We have forgotten what it was like for us to never know anything about Jesus. And so this week, Lord, I pray that as a community, that people who encounter us, people who stand on the other side of us, regardless of whether they believe what we believe, would have an incredible experience because we would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.